Uh, I'm John, I'm an alcoholic. Now, I, this is the first time I'll ever say this in a lead, I have no idea what I'm going to say tonight. Because usually I always have an idea what I'm going to say. You give me a room full of people and a microphone, and I've got a million ideas on what to say. I've never been the type that uh, would ever come up here and say, I'm nervous. I don't relate to that too much. I'm nervous when I'm one-on-one -on -one sometimes talking with an alcoholic because I don't have any words of wisdom. I just have to listen, and that makes me nervous having to listen. Jesus. Uh, but I really don't know what I'm going to say, so I'll just start at the beginning. Uh, I was born... <laughs> On uh, January 3rd, 1958, into an Irish Catholic Mexican family, and uh, we weren't, uh, I don't think we were in the Nielsen ratings, I don't know, uh, we were a pretty wild household. Uh, we, uh, we grew up in a musical family, everybody in our, our family played something or <laughs> played with something, I guess, in bigger <laughs> speech, but, uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, I was a drummer, you know, I was a drummer in the family. I used to, you know, my brother, he grew up playing trombone, keyboard. The guy plays about nine different instruments today, and I think every time he gets bored, he learns another one, you know. And uh, and now he's studying law because he got bored with the insurance business, you know. He, and uh, and he lives in a about a $250,000 house in Centerville, and they've got a Chemline truck that comes by once a week, and, you know, and uh, his wife has her own business, and they just do real well. My nephew's a great kid. And, and I remember thinking, as back when I was, as far as I can remember, I always wanted to be my brother, you know. That was a grave obsession with me. Uh, and, uh, and if I couldn't be my brother, then I, you know, because he had that intellectual kind of look, too, that I liked. Uh, I, could add in, I could act intellectual for five minutes, but then when people started realizing I had no idea what I was talking about, it didn't, you know, it didn't kind of, it didn't work or something. There was something missing. It's called information, you know. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I always wanted to be the best-looking kid, and I never was. And I, so I, I just would hang around with guys that were good-looking. I, I always wanted to, to be smart like my brother, so I'd hang around with him and let him teach me things that I would forget instantly. And, uh, and I, I always wanted to be like, sort of like my dad, too, because he was a happy-go-lucky type of person. Dad still is today. Nothing really ever seems to bother him. But... Uh, I, like a lot of alcoholics, was born me, and that was not good enough at all. Um, so when we grew up, uh, I used to be, uh, my doctor used to describe me, our family pediatrician said I was a hyperactive child, you know. Uh, my dad never was into beating kids, you know. He was the kind of guy that would just go have a beer and let the kids tear the house up. Um, and my mom would just cry and worry. And uh, and she did a lot of crying in my childhood, now that I think about it. Um, a lot of people, and I, I, I do feel for you, too, if you were abused as a kid, because I don't think that's very funny. I think that's kind of a tragedy. But if anybody was the abuser in my house, it was me, you know. Uh, I, was, I was verbally abusive, and I used to push my sisters around, and, just, and I was just kind of a terror, uh, you know. Even when I wasn't trying, you know, I used to pull, just shut the bathroom door and break fixtures, and, you know, I, I never really intended to do things, and I was destructive. Uh, but uh, when, I, when I started drinking, I was 12 years old, and I, and I know all the way through, it seemed like all the way through my childhood, we'd go to my pediatrician, and my mom would always tell him, and it always used to embarrass me. I'd say, this kid wets the bed all the time. I think I wet the bed right until I was 12 years old. 
And then when I started drinking, I stopped wetting the bed. So I don't know if there was a substitute going on or what the deal was. I never could figure that one out. But uh, uh, and and when I started drinking, I I didn't really. I think I might have sipped beers. You know, I had to sip your dad's beer and stuff. But the first time I remember getting drunk, I really got drunk. I went uh, out with some friends of mine, and we went down into uh, Harrison. Well, actually, Den, Ohio. We went down Harrison Pike. Back then, there was no Interstate 74 out there. It was just West Side Wilderness. And uh, I grew up over in Western Hills, over on Boone Avenue. And uh, I just remember going real fast down this freeway, drinking these beers. We got six percent beer because that was, you know, what you got. And uh, and I was about 12, and I was with my best friend and his older brother, who took pleasure in watching us drink, I guess. I don't know, he thought it was funny to get his little brother and his friend drunk and watch him throw up, which is exactly what happened. Uh, got back to their parents' house, and, and they had this little, uh, they had this big two-story house with this little bathroom in the lower level, and it was just, a, all it was was a stained glass window and a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary that was at least as high, and, uh, and, a, and a toilet, and a roll of toilet paper. That was the entire room and a door. And, uh, and I just remember going in, and and, and I felt like I, I was absolutely out of control, and for some reason I enjoyed that, right up until the time I threw up on a wall and crapped on the floor and I missed the commode completely. It was untouched, you know. And uh, and I, I just remember uh, her banging on the door. I guess her mom was banging on the door and saying, uh, John, what happened? And I said, well, I ate too much pizza, you know. And, uh, and I remember bits and pieces of that. And the next day I just knew I had one of those diamond splitter headaches for days, and, and my dad was saying, boy, you're never going to drink again. And I said, yeah, you're right. I'm never going to drink again. And, uh, and, and then throwing up in the whole bit. So everything that happened to me, I guess what this book talks about, when we first drank alcohol, happened to me the first time I drank. But it would have never occurred to me that that was alcoholic drinking. Uh, so I kept on drinking. <laughs> and uh, I used to have some big parties in high school. Uh, we, I used to convince my parents regularly that if I went out drinking in a car, I might die in an accident and it would be all, be all their fault. So, so you know, they had to let me drink in the house. And they were, it was an interesting house because, I mean, I really loved growing up because we were like the liberals on the block. You know, everybody in the whole neighborhood was Republican, I think. And we had all, my mom had all these like Democrat signs out on the front lawn, like they were as many as she could fit on the front lawn, you know, just letting people know where she stood, right? And, uh, and, and she always wanted to view herself as like the open-minded parent, you know, the one who was concerned about everybody's welfare. And my dad was a big union man at the time until he, he got into sales, and uh, and then I followed in his footsteps. I was never a big union man. I just went right to sales. I bypassed good, hard, honest work, you know. I just right there. And uh, so... Uh, so I, I, I just remember vividly them wanting to go out of their way to be open-minded, and I just took major league advantage of that, you know. And plus, my brother would have his bands over that he had as he was growing up, and it was real big in, in that era, you know, the 60s and 70s, to have live bands. Now, it's, I guess it's gone, a lot of things have gone to the DJ and the, 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 the record spinner and the video, but back then I used to play, you know, practice and sit in on drums with their bands. That was a big thrill for me. And, and the neighbors didn't seem to mind. So we just have like a Tuesday night summertime jam session until one o'clock until I guess finally the neighbors would complain, you know, and, uh, and we, we drink in the basement and, uh, it wasn't all that bad, you know, it was kind of fun. And, and uh, so I started having these parties with my brother and, and, you know, he moved out and I got into high school and, and, and my older sister moved out and, uh, and, um, 
and I started having like you know a lot of a lot of parties and just kind of neglecting what I was doing. So I drank through high school and uh, went through that bit. And one of my parties, I, the only reason why I remember this is because we charge everybody a dollar to get into this party. We we had 315 people at my parents' house, and. Uh, I had four of the guys on the football team be bouncers at the party, and we got all this beer from Shanling and iced it all up. And I guess somebody brought in dope and cocaine, which I'd never seen before, because um, I was like really into anti-drugs at the time, because I thought drugs were a problem. <laughs> and uh, and so I just remember my parents coming in that night, and they came home a day early. My dad was away on business with my mom, and they came in right at about two in the morning, I think, on a Sunday night. But there was like at least a couple hundred people left at this party. It was still rocking, you know. And uh, and all I remember is we had a microphone there where people were, like, saying anything they wanted to, and, and everybody got real quiet. All the music stopped, and my mom just was sitting there crying, you know, which we expected. <laughs> uh, but my dad, I thought he was going to kill me. I mean, I'd never seen him give me a look like that. And then finally he just shook his head, and my friend Bill comes over and goes, Mr. Nolan, would you like a beer? And he goes, you know, Bill, I think I could use a beer right now. And so he cracks it open, and he starts telling dirty jokes on the microphone. Like, it wasn't no big deal. All my friends are like, wow, Mr. Mr. Nolan's really cool, you know. And, uh, and, and that was kind of like his, that was when he got so mad, he just couldn't say anything and just went along with it and said, what the hell, these kids are destroying my house, big deal, the bank owns it anyway. Um uh, so it's one of those kind of houses. I mean, I was just enabled to the hilt, and I didn't mind it. Hell, I thought it was great. You know, um, my friends liked it too. Come to think of it, uh, so I got into college, and I made some great statements in high school. I used to tell my friends, you know, they were going to college, and I'd say, "Hey, you know, I got, I got two cars. They were both '59 and, and '60 Biscaynes and Bonnevilles, you know, and." Uh, so I got two cars, I got two jobs, and I can buy any liquor I want. What do I need to go to college for? I said that once. My friends still tell me that I said that. That was a great statement that I'd made. And uh, so they went on to college, and I just kind of floundered for a year or two. And then I did eventually try college. Uh, I flunked out of Northern Kentucky University. Uh, I flunked out of Xavier, and I had the dubious distinction of flunking out of Cincinnati Technical College. And you got to be pretty dumb to flunk out of there, but uh, I managed to do it. I, I guess if you don't take if you don't take tests and you don't go to classes, you flunk. You know that's generally the rules at most uh, institutions. And uh, so I kind of floundered through that. But in the meantime, I learned a lot of things. You know, I, I'd been developing my drumming skills a little bit, and I played with a lot of bands, garage bands, and I started playing weddings and parties. I was with one band, we played four or five nights a week and you know, in the season, you know, when it got prom season all the way back in through the holidays, you know, Christmas and that, we were good. And uh, but it just seemed like everything I got into the drinking sort of took precedence. And uh, by this time I was into drugs real heavy and, and uh and that, that kept going on and on and on. And and I started doing smoking a lot of pot and uh doing MDA. MDA was a big drug back then. I don't know if any ever did that stuff, but it was, I thought it was, it was cheap and, and, and you could just fly off the stuff. And, uh, and, uh, I remember one night we were watching, me and some friends were watching Looking for Mr. Goodbar and, uh, which was an odd movie to be watching when you're doing too much MDA. And I, and I remember this, it was up at this little hole in the wall theater in Oxford, Ohio. And this guy was with his girlfriend and this other guy was with his girlfriend. And I was in a massive self-pity and I was watching, looking for Mr. Goodbar, you know, and, and at the end, this woman gets stabbed, and I, I had this real, I was like a, a druggie with an attitude, you know, and uh, and I just remember, at that, that was my first real fear that I was really different than other people, 
Uh, you know, you, you remember things in, in your leads and, and, and things come back to you, and I just now remembered that. That was like the first time, I think, that I ever truly remember feeling like nobody liked me, you know, or, or nobody understood me, or I, I didn't understand you, or how do you, how do you get from here to there, you know. Uh, really, I was disconnected, and, um, and so I, I, do, I do recall uh, through those years now, you know, it's, it's come back to me a little, little bit. Each time I talk, it comes back to me. Um, and what's really funny about that, I guess, is that I, it never would have occurred to me that, that in fact, I, I was different. I mean, bodily and mentally different. You know, I just figured that I was, like, not capable. You know, that I, I, I viewed anything that was wrong with me as moral or, or, or weak or bad or, or something other than what it was, because I didn't know what it was. You people told me what it was. Absolutely no way this intelligent person would have ever connected that I had a disease. You know, it just wouldn't have registered at all uh, because I thought I was pretty smart and uh, I would have known that. <laughs> uh, so I kind of went through things. I went, when I was at Xavier, I, I was on the radio for five years. I really enjoyed that. I, I got into jazz real heavy and I, I learned a lot about the music and and uh, helped promote a lot some of the concerts that came at NKU I did the same thing but I, I my whole life is a series of unfinished business every time I got good at something I just stopped I unexplainably would just stop and and, and I don't know if it and you know I think a lot of what that was was I was really afraid that I might get so interested in it that it would take precedence over what was really most important to me and that was drinking um, you know I really think about that now because today I, I have the same fears um, <laughs> I just, it's funny, I just bought a house, and uh, I'm not going to move until the end of September, but I, I remember Steve Wall giving a lead up here and uh, talking about how he just knew that he was never going to get the house he wanted, and I know exactly how he feels now, because I just went through all that, you know, it's like I was just cursing myself, I knew damn well I was never going to have this house, and now I've got it, and now I don't even understand it, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird feeling, it's like, I believe that alcoholism is what I have, it's, it's definitely not alcoholism. And, and uh, you know, I get, I get these fears regularly about, you know, just little annoying fears about, you know, why, I think I'm different or I think that, that the guy next door has got it and I don't or, or, or when I get it, the guy next door will still have it and I won't and, you know, all this crap. And it's just crap. Uh, it's just alcoholic fear. But uh, so anyway, uh, back to the story, I, I, uh, my progression started up real bad. Um, I got into cocaine. A guy, I moved in with this guy, and this is where I selected roommates. This guy looked great. He had beautiful girlfriends. Uh, he ironed all of his clothes. This guy was clean. I've never met a guy still today that is this, this perfectionistic about his place. And the guy had had a real negative kind of like I don't know aura about him. You know, everything looked bad to him. You had to really impress this guy. For him to really get excited about something and for some reason that was a real attraction because i was one of those guys that was always easily impressed you could tell me anything and i go wow that's great man let's go with it you know and and so i picked this guy who who everybody told me was a real jerk to be a roommate with and i thought he was, he was just exactly what i wanted to be like so i moved in with this guy and uh and we started hanging out and soon i was dealing coke for him and uh and i kind of got into that I'd, I'd go out and modulate and uh and uh, and I'd go up into Mount Adams, you know, all places where, where all the rock and roll was in, and and uh, and just meet people. And uh, and the book book, you know, talks about the girl who understands. You know, I know I spent a good portion of my life looking for her, and and uh, you know, and it was just it was you know sorted places and the whole bit. And uh, 
it was just one thing after another. Uh, one time, I remember, I, I don't know what it was, it was one of my night jobs I had. I was working for Domino's, and I, I kind of fell in love, I thought, with this girl. And then she fell in love with my best friend, so I got, I got him back, and I fell in love with the girl that he was dating, and then we'd all go out together, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, and then, and, then, and then talk about it. And God, isn't it great that we did this bizarre thing, and now we're all friends, and, you know, it's just, I don't know, man, it, no plan. I just didn't have a plan or something. I just, uh, just no, no, uh, <laughs> no strategy, no, no uh, method, nothing. Just kind of went uh, with it. Um, and so I just did things like that for years. I never really got close to anybody that I can recollect. I think the one thing I did do, I went, I was in this relationship with this woman, and uh, it really wasn't with her. It was with cocaine and, and beer, and she had one with vodka, and we just kind of mixed ourselves together, and that's what we had. Um, she was really neat, though. She, she, she was really talented, five years older than me, and, and I really liked that because I, I had this thing about women. I wanted a woman to take care of me because I was really scared. And I figured a woman that was older than me could definitely take care of me. Uh, so we got together and we lived together briefly. I think it was maybe back in 82 or that was in 81. I think I don't even It's 81. And uh, and it ended. And, of course, being raised Catholic, I've always had a lot of, I still had a lot of guilt about this. But she ended up having an abortion. And, and I didn't like going through that, you know, it was, it was my kid, and I felt real weird about it, and I felt like a real coward because I didn't want to marry her, you know, I wasn't convinced in my gut that I was going to do this thing, and half of my friends said, well, you know, you got to do the right thing, and God, I hated that, because <laughs> I had no idea what the right thing was, you know, and whatever I did, I knew was the wrong thing, so it didn't really matter what the right thing was, and... Uh, and just things like that, I went through that, and it was real grave for me, you know, and I mean, I drank off that forever, in fact... I took a geographic cure. Uh, I went to Nigeria, uh, and that's real geographic. Uh, I, I was there for uh, two and a half months in 1981. Uh, I worked for the Federal Radio Corporation in Lagos, Nigeria. At the time, I was at Xavier, and this guy worked out this deal where I could go. He's a good friend of mine. And in fact, he just called me long distance from London uh, about a week ago and invited me. He lives in London now. He works for the BBC. He's a Nigerian that lives in England now. And he invited me to come to London, and, and I told him, well, when I'm off federal probation, I can go to London. <laughs> I'll get to that later. <laughs> more more awaits. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, so uh, so anyway, so uh, yeah, I went to the, uh, Nigeria, and I got drunk on palm wine and smoked a lot of grass and recorded some tapes. And I have pictures to prove that I was there, and I don't remember half the trip. That's the real truth of it. The people were wonderful. I love the culture. I, I love the I love everything about the place, and it was a great experience for me. And I got to do a lot of reading about it too. And but again, it was just one of those things that always it, it did never preceded my party. My parting preceded it. So and uh, and again, I progressed more. I, I started uh, having problems with jobs. Um, I floundered a little bit in, in, in uh, advertising, which, by the way, is what I'm doing now. Only I'm not floundering, thanks to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but uh, I got kind of weirded out. I, need, I thought, well, I, now I'm going to, you know, nothing fixed me, and it, I couldn't get away from the thought of her, and, and Africa didn't fix me, so now I'm going to get this job, the best job I've ever had in my life. And I went to work for the cable company in town. And uh, at the time, they were real hot. Um, because they just started up and the commissions were big and they were into this rah-rah type of selling. I mean, it was almost like selling Herbal Life or Amway. You know, it's like, go get them, you know. And, and we'd get out there and, and uh, just canvas areas, you know, knocking on doors. I'd knock on people's doors at 1130 at night, you know. And, 
and, and uh, they'd say, who are you? And I'd go, well, I'm the cable man. You know, you got to let me in. I'm the cable man. We're the only company in town. And they'd let me in, you know. Uh, uh, you might have shot me, but they let me in. Uh, but uh, one guy did threaten to kick my butt, and, and I told him I'd give him free install, and he let me in. <laughs> but, uh, but I, yeah, I was pretty rude. I, uh, now, the one thing, they gave me Clifton, which was great. I mean, it was great for me because they gave me University Heights and, and, and then Camp Washington, which is two, like, night and day kind of territories to be working cable in. One, one area is, like, the Nashville network, real hardcore, and the other one was, like, MTV, real hardcore. And you, you knew the demographics. I mean, I dressed the part, you know, when I'd go to Camp Washington, I'd wear jeans and boots and say, how y'all doing? And, and when I go up to University Heights, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'd kind of, you know, wear baggy pants and say, what's going on, man? You know, and, you know it's, it's incredible, man. Yeah, it says the alcoholic is very much the actor in here. And when I saw that, I thought, oh, man, they wrote a book about me. I can't read it, you know. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, I, I used to do that. I, and I, I'd knock on people's doors. And, and a lot of these cats up and down Stratford and Chickasaw and all these side streets would be partying when I'd, I'd call on them at 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. And so I'd end up coming out stoned, a couple of cans of Budweiser in me, and a, a sale, you know. I mean, what more could a person ask for, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and then I'd meet with my associates, and then we'd finish the job, right? And uh, so that was kind of the way I operated for a while. And I was there two and a half, three years. They flew me around the country. They flew me to open up systems in Dallas, you know, me and the, I was always in the top five salespeople, they fly me here and fly me there, and I thought, man, this is where it's at, all I got to do now is just maintain, you know, I was always in that mentality, it's funny because in sobriety I find I can never maintain, you know, I'm always changing, or I'm either going forward or backward, you know, and, and I accept that today because you people tell me that's the way it's supposed to be, you know, it's like this isn't something you just stop at and I'm going to get to this point and okay, now we're going to coast, you know. Um, but when I was out there, I thought that's what you did. You know, I, I really did. I thought everybody got to a certain point, and then they just didn't change anymore. You know, like life just no longer was a problem. You, you know, at some point, and that that fundamentally is a, is an incorrect basis of which I my alcoholic life just I kept trying to riddle myself into thinking that that's really how it goes. You know, that, that no once you get to a certain point, you stop having problems. You know. And people would always say, well, John, you know, you'd talk to the old guy at the bar, and he'd say, well, John, you're always going to have problems. And i go, yeah, 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 well, you're old, so what the hell do you know, you know? <laughs> I'm not going to have any problems, you know? And uh, it's just really incredible. I just, I really bought into that, you know? Uh, it, it completely made sense to me. Uh, so uh, I had problems, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I, I kind of just kept getting sicker. I, I, I got into cocaine because it was more accessible. I had the money and I, I started dealing and I had instant friends. God, you know, I, doctors, lawyers, gurus, uh, religious people, you know, who happened to do cocaine socially, you know, I mean, the whole bit. I, you know, it's just, it was incredible. I, myriads of people from everywhere. Uh, and, uh, and women, which again, I, my, my self-esteem was so low, I always had to feel that, you know, a beautiful woman was a woman was going to make me feel like somebody today. Anyway, it might not work tomorrow, but it's going to work today. And, and uh, so I went with all that. And eventually, I lost everything. Uh, I got uh, down to where I guess around '84, spring of '84. And I had had some problems. I was born blind in my left eye. And this, this is something I always talk about. It's really more part of the story than anything. I don't feel the need to talk about it, but what 
what basically happened was I, I was born blind in my left eye, and, and I used to always drink over that. In other words, if I'd ask a girl out on a date and she'd reject me, I knew it was because I was blind in my left eye, and then I'd go get drunk for three days. It was great, you know. I, never, I could always be unique at any time. Just turn on the switch and, and you know, start the waterworks and drink, and it was great, I, you know. And, uh, and I'd always meet somebody in a bar who had another. I had a handicap too, you know. And I'd say, Yeah, I know how it is. Yeah, I know how it is, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, Hey, you know any handicapped girls? You know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, so that's not nice. I'm sorry about that. Um, but uh, but I, you know, I did. I mean, I had that built-in uh, thing, and and and, uh, and so it just kind of. Uh, it's kind of weird. I, I finally decided I was going to deal with it. You know, the ophthalmologist said, well, look, you know, you might want to have that eye taken out because there's cataracts building up and you get a tumor. And uh, I got scared when he said tumor. I said, okay, well, what do they do? And he goes, well, they enucleate it. You know, that's what, that's how you take out an eye. That's what they call it. And I go, well, is that, what are they going to do, blow my eye up or <laughs> radiate it or, you know, what's the deal? And uh, he goes, no, we just take it out. You know, that's what we do. And I go, okay, okay. Well, what, what's, what's required then? He goes, well, it has to heal for three months. And, and, of course, I'm adding in my mind while he's saying this, okay? I'm thinking, if I can get my company, you know, to foot the bill for the whole thing, and I, I could be off seven or eight months, you know, and, I, and then, of course, I, I act real mundane. I come out of his office and I act real broken. I go, God, i got to face this, this surgery, and it's going to be awful. And told all my friends about it and they all took me I got drunk told me how awful it was going to be and I, but I'd be all right and then I went to my boss and he said John that sounds like it's going to be terrible and you go down to human resources they'll give you full pay for this we're, you know because you're one of our best salespeople, and this is going to be a tough recovery for you and I said oh I'll, I'll make it I'll make it. I'm a company man I'll make it you know and, and uh, so I ended up getting eight months off with full pay and uh they took the eye out and, I, and they gave me this black eye patch. So I'm running around in these bars, right? And I'd never been in a fight in my life, okay? I mean, I was, but I always wanted to be a mercenary. I used to watch Rambo and think, man, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be bad, you know? So, so I'm sitting at the edge of these bars, right, drinking shots of tequila and going, <coughs> you know, and uh, I never smoked. I'd have cigars though, and I just kind of play with them. And uh, this was this was obviously. I heard somebody say something like, uh, neurosis is building houses in your mind and psychosis is living in them. And I think if I hadn't been an alcoholic, at this point I might have been a psychotic because I know I was living what I was thinking. You know, I, I mean, I was sitting there doing this drinking and thinking that I was a mercenary. And, and, I, and I run around with this gym bag, it had HBO on it, right? And with a scale and some mannitol and a, and a, a quarter pound of cocaine in it. And a, and, a, and a scale that we stole from the Miami University Chemistry Lab, and uh, and some mannitol, got to have that, and uh, and a little bottle of booze, and and I'd run around and do this shit, and I'd meet my friends, and at two in the afternoon when everybody else was working, um, and just just act out my whole life. I did this for about six, seven, eight months, and my progression was astonishing. I. Uh, I never really thought you could get like this. I, I went and, you know, I talk about the four stages of alcoholism in Chapter 8, which, by the way, if, if anybody's new and really wants to find out a lot about alcoholism, read Chapter 8, because those stages just blew me away when I first read them. Because um, I think I was right into where at Stage 4 is, you know, where it talks about the guy who's more or less insane when drunk, and I was right there. I was right there because 
I, I was also maintenance drinking, which it talks about a little bit. Um, and I didn't realize that I would get up at one, two in the afternoon and start snorting coke. And then I, because I was so shaky, I would start drinking myself to sleep. That's maintenance, you know. That's it. That's that's this. And uh, I was 27 years old, and I just didn't think that was possible. Uh, my apartment started to stink. I started to stink. I wasn't taking showers. I wasn't shaving. I wasn't paying my gas and electric bill. I owed them about five, six hundred bucks. I owed the phone company about five or six hundred bucks. I owed the cable company that I worked for a hundred bucks, if you can believe that. Um, I claimed they kept screwing up my bill. <laughs> and, jeez, uh, uh, talk about being right, you know. Uh, and uh, I owed my landlord. He was ready to evict me. I owed him about a thou. Um, owed the coke man a few grand. And uh, and that wasn't that wasn't the big problem, you know. Forget the debts. I was just I was just in, in, incomprehensible. I mean, I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. Um, and it was me and the in the soap operas, you know, and, and a bottle of tequila and some coke, and that was it. That was my social life. I didn't want anybody around. Uh, my family had kind of wondered where I'd been. It'd been a month or two since I communicated, and I was one of those good boys that used to call mom every week. Sometimes, you know, have lunch every week. What are we going to do, mom, this week? You know, I was out of it. Um, so, I'm sitting in my apartment, and my place was a dump. There was dead food in the refrigerator and the whole bit. But the the floor, the floor was spotless. I had, and I don't know if you guys ever had anything you just did meticulously. Uh, you know, some guys were into like polishing their cars while they were getting drunk or whatever, but I I had this thing about my floor. It was a parquet wood floor and I just always waxed all the time. It looked good, you know. Um, <laughs> windows were dirty. That was what was weird. And it had a nice view of the city, and, you know. And uh, I'm sitting there with this, this money, and it's real fresh money, and apparently I'd been getting real careless with who I was selling drugs to. These three, four unmarked cars come flying out my driveway. Guys get out, and I'm just kind of watching it. I'm watching them like, you know, like that, watching it. And they come crashing through the back door. And they got snow and ice on their shoes, and I'm sitting there with this scale and this manitol and this money. And, and they come flying in right through the back door. With, and, uh, and they couldn't stop. The first guy tries to stop. <laughs> and he's got his gun like this, right? But he couldn't, you know, he just figured he was going to be able to stop it. He just kept on going. The other guy... <laughs> runs into him before you know it they're all like this kind of like leaning on each other going get them up get them up and I'm sitting there going you know like that I thought they were going to shoot me or something you know uh, read me my rights first you know and um, and they did and uh, and I asked them who they were because I honestly didn't know and they didn't like that too much uh, and, then, and then they they read me my rights and I started crying you know and I told them well, I'm from the suburbs and I never did this before and, you know the whole, you know the whole bit, man. Anything, anything I could think of, and they're they're taking me away, you know. And and this guy comes in with a three-piece suit, and he's got a pipe, and he, you know, he's a U.S. assistant district attorney, and he's quoting Shakespeare and telling me, you know, all the wrongs of men and all this crap. I said, look, what do you want? He goes, well, we'd like to avoid search warrants. I said, just tear the place up, baby. I don't care what you do. So they tore it up, and they found some more goodies, and that was a big trouble. And uh, they held me at Campbell County that night. Uh, I, I'll get back to where I'm at, but, to, but that night was interesting because they held me one night at this jail, and I was in there with what I think was the resident drunk. And uh, I think he had some other problems, okay, because I'm trying to sleep, and he keeps saying to me, hey, man, uh, if, uh, you know, if you... Uh, if you take your clothes off, I'll take my clothes off. And I said, and I said, and I said, man, uh, 
you know what I'm in here for? And he goes, no, man, what'd you do? I go, I killed a guy, man. He goes, hey, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> That's the only time I ever lied and hoped like hell that the guy would believe me, man. This guy was big, man, and it was dark. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, was, I was getting real scared. Uh, so, so anyway, the, that, that afternoon, though, before that happened, uh, that was not a good night's sleep. Um, they... Uh, they fingerprinted me and did all the stuff that they do, and, and uh, I get down there and there's five of my friends sitting there. You know, it must have been field day in the suburb. They got us all within a few minutes, and then we're all like looking at each other. Nobody had ever done this before, and you know, everybody's got a lawyer, and it was real awkward. <laughs> it was real awkward, and I, I looked at all them, and you know, and uh, so I get a lawyer down there, and he's an honest lawyer. He's a good guy. He referred to me by a friend. It's good to have friends that have been in trouble, um, and. Uh, so, so he tells me, you know, they're all telling us, look, you know, if you, the other guy's in the other room, and he was a friend of ours, you know, and, and, and he won't go down for much time if you cooperate. If you don't cooperate, he's going to get it, and you're all going to get five to 15 years, and you might get three to five the other way, and, I, I, you know, we're just going chasel. So, you know, they, they give us the option, and we're all kind of thinking for a minute, and I, I, it, that thought passed through me about Hawaii Five O, where the guy, you know, won't talk, you know, the big Hawaiian guy, and they're all beating the hell out of him, and he won't talk, you know. And, and all I know is they asked us, you know, do you know the guy? And he goes, yeah, man, we know the guy. We know the guy. You know, one like, you know, one like, it was like Jeopardy, you know. You know. So it was, it was pretty, it was pretty quick, you know. And uh, well, the one, to, and aside from that too, that guy that we all snitched on, he got sober. Um, in fact, I saw him here at Oak Street last summer, and uh, I think he's still going to meetings over in the West Side. He's a real nice guy, and. and uh, when I first saw him, I swore to God I thought I was going to be the first person shot in the stomach in front of everybody at Oak Street. I really thought that. I went up to him and I just froze. And he and he he didn't really freeze. He just kind of looked surprised. And then he walked over and he extended his hand and I shook hand with him. And I said, you know, I got to talk to you. You know, that was like the ninth step that I had awaited uh, for a while. Uh, it kept me up at night too for a while. Uh, and we, you know, I made amends to him and I paid him back some money that I owed him and it was a sizable sum of money, but. You know, I felt that I should do it, and some people advised me not to, but I just kind of went with my gut. So some of these amends, you, you just—I don't know—you just kind of got to go with your gut on them. You know, um, there's no rule. I don't think sometimes. Sometimes there is, but sometimes there's not. It's—it's it's not consistent, and our book allows for that, uh, actually. Uh, but anyway, uh, so that was kind of neat that, that how that worked out. But in the meantime, I was in big trouble, and we were all in big trouble, and I kept drinking. Uh, that's interesting that I, you know, it didn't stop me, it didn't phase me from drinking. My mom knew about it, and she was scared, and I kept telling her, well, Mom, when I'm in jail, I'll go to college. That <laughs> 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 was, was rather academic, <laughs> you know. Uh, she didn't really care about that. She was just in, in terror about this whole thing, and uh, went to court May 24th, 1985, and uh, there was no trial, it was just a sentencing deal. Uh, be before that, and I'll get, uh, just, I'll hold that thought, before that I, I kept on drinking. March 1st, 1985, I, I'm sitting in my, my mom's living room, I didn't have a living room then, uh, and he goes, and my attorney's got a sense of humor, right? He goes, well, we know you got something wrong with you, you dummy, you know, and uh, I go, well, I think it's drugs, you know, and there I am drinking, right? I hadn't any drugs in five months. 
And uh, he goes, well, do you drink? I go, a little bit, you know. And he goes, well, is your insurance going to cover if you go into treatment? I go, yeah. And he goes, well, why don't you go into treatment? So I went right up around the corner to Emerson. I went through there for a month and heard a guy, uh, Melvin, he's a biker, first lead I ever heard. Of course, I related. He had a, a leg problem and I had an eye problem, so I related to that. And, uh, and, I, and you know, I, I, and, but he was a junkie and he was this and he was that. I said, man, I don't know. I, you know, this guy's completely different from me. But when he got done talking, I was upset because I felt close to him. I felt like I liked the guy, you know. And that was weird because I just, I couldn't, you know, it, it, my pride, you know, I couldn't imagine liking the guy, you know, like that, that didn't remind me of me, you know. But but he felt inside like me. It was, it was weird. It's like I wanted to be there, but I didn't, you know. So I figured I'd better stay since I didn't have anywhere else to go, right. So, uh... I went out and met him, and he, I told him, how do you do this? And he said, don't drink, read the big book, get a sponsor, go to meetings. And I said, oh, yeah, 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 but but how do you do it, you know? <laughs> it was like I wanted a magical kind of answer for this, this thing. Uh, and so I started going to these meetings. I'd run out of places to run my game, you know. I'd run out of places to lie and bullshit and con and, 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 uh, and all that. And I'd run out of places to... To feel different at, and I'd run out of places where I wanted to be president at. You know, I just ran out of places, you know. <laughs> and uh, and that's that's the name of that tune for me. I just I just kept coming back. I had to. I had no place else to go. Uh, in the meantime, I got out of treatment in April of '85, and I I got this job from a guy who was a former enemy. I thought he was an enemy of mine, and he ended up coming up to me. I met him in AA again. You know, it was one of these guys I'd known from the past, and. He came up, gave me a hug, and said, here's the number, man, if you want a job in advertising. And I said, oh, I'm never going to go back to advertising, you know. Well, I went back to advertising. <laughs> I've been there for four and a half years, so never say never. Um, and I like the job, too. You know, it's a good job. I got a real nice boss. Um, and I, I started working there the day I got out of treatment, and I've been there ever since, you know. It's really, it's a miracle. And, and on May 24th of 85, uh, I was sentenced to five years. Um, this judge that I have, Reuben, in fact, is his name, uh, he never gives probation. My attorney said, man, this guy never gives probation. Well, he gave me probation. Um, I, I did uh, six months at Talbert House. And uh, I got a big fine, but that was cool. <laughs> and I scrubbed toilets at 6.15 in the morning on the first, second, and third floor on my knees scrubbing toilets every morning and I was grateful as hell to be scrubbing toilets man I just scrubbed toilets at all the Talbert houses at 6.15 in the morning to stay out of jail uh, no problem here you know um, that was a good dose of humility for me that's the only way I get humility is if you force it on me man I'm just one of those kind of alcoholics um, I, I just really think sometimes that you know that I deserve the best when I really don't because I wasn't willing to work for it you know or do the right things to get the best you know so that's good that was good for me and I and I did get into something that I didn't realize I was giving guys rides because I had a car I wasn't much of a car but it was a car and I was giving these right guys rides to work when I was in Talbert House and it never really occurred to me that I was helping anybody you know I thought I was just being a people pleaser and, and doing it for them because I thought they were going to knife me or or steal my money or something but the truth is is that I, I, I was actually intentioned and it worked and and I felt good doing that um, I didn't go to many meetings for six months I was one of those guys that was going to jog my way to sobriety I uh, 
I was always uh, into running like 80 miles a week and uh, tearing up my cartilage. And uh, I worked at this advertising agency on the phone, you know, seven days a week, and I was miserable. And I was afraid to talk to women, and I was afraid to talk to men, and I was afraid to talk after a while. And, uh, and man, life was, you know, it's funny, I was getting things, you know, just from not drinking, believe me, not drinking and drugging does help, I mean, because at least you can regroup and, but, but mentally I was just way out of it and twisted and, and I was praying, but I just felt like there was no God that I was praying to and I just didn't have a game plan, you know, same old story. And, um, and I was living at this Talbert house and that was kind of strange and, and right around six, six months or so, I was about ready to get out of this Talbert house at that place and, and I thought, man, you know, the thought of drinking occurred to me, but I knew that if I drank, I was going to die. And I knew that if I went back to AA, you all were going to tell me things, and then I'd have to do them, and then what am I going to do? You know, it's like I was at the point that the guy was at in the book, you know, the jumping off place, you know. So I thought, God, what am I going to do? So I went to the SA meeting, and I found this guy, and I poured my soul out to him. He's an older guy, and, and I asked him to be my sponsor. And uh, he said, I'll be your temporary sponsor because, you know, uh, Whenever you know, whenever you want to seek uh, another sponsor, just go do it. And I said, okay, okay. And I, but I ended up being my sponsor, and I called this guy religiously. And and the sponsor I have now, I call a lot because I, you know, and he's he's here tonight, and we relate a lot, and it's just a real good relationship, real great. Um, and uh, I ran my game in AA a lot, you know. Uh, I I did. I I I get. Uh, real sensitive, you know. Um, I'd come into these meetings, and I was going from like one meeting a week, I would start going to 21 meetings a week and making coffee. I had like three coffee pots in the back of my car and and, I, and all these big books in 12 and 12s and, and literature, you know. I never know when you might want to throw a big book at somebody at Kroger, right? Um, and, and I was just really getting fanatical, you know, and I, and I, you know, I burned into the consciousness of every man. You know, that was my, that was the beginning of everything I said. You know, she said, John, do you need to use the bathroom? I'd say, burn into the consciousness of every man. Uh, and, and so I wasn't quite right there either. Uh, and I hadn't done a four step, right? Uh, so I just took all my defects, kind of transferred them over here and over here and over there. And, and, uh, and it was the same old story, but, you know, I was real sensitive. Whenever a, a, a cute girl would smile at me, I thought, that's it, she wants to marry me, that's it, let's go, you know. And, and I'd already, you know, married her, had kids, divorced her, and paid child support for her, before I'd even walk across the room, and shake her hand, and, and, and you know, you know, uh, yeah, man. Uh, and then... And, and, and the same with the guys, you know, if, if, if they give me kind of a frown, I thought, well, that guy wants to kick my ass. And he's an Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, what, what kind of a place is this, you know. And I, so I was just real, I was real terrified, you know. So I finally did a, an inventory. It wasn't much of one. It wasn't the one that was in here. Um, that's why I call that an inventory. To me, a four-step is what's in here. It's just, just my opinion. Um, and so I kind of got involved with this uh, girl that, I knew from my past here, and, and I, I kind of made her my higher power, <laughs> you know, and uh, and we go to meetings together and do things together, and that was kind of cool, and and then I was out here on the steps of Oak Street one night with her in 86, and she just told me she wanted to get better, <laughs> so she, I better stay away from her. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and, uh, and then I said, I said, do you mean it? You know, <laughs> could it be? Uh, 
she's discovered me. Uh, so I, you know, and I said, oh, okay. And of course, naturally, being an actor, not one to be offensive. So oh, that's fine. That's fine. You know. Uh, and and I thought about drinking that night, but I didn't. Some guy grabbed me and dragged me in here, and then three guys. I think Dave Schneer and some other guy, Steve Waller, they were all sitting around teasing me about her, and I was like ready to cry. And they're, and they're all saying, John, don't you understand the reason why we tease you is because we like you. And I said, aha, you know, that really made sense to me. Because, you know, that was the first time I ever felt like super, that rush of unconditional love that we talk about in here, you know, when the, the guys started accepting me for who I was. You know, I used to think that in order for guys to like me and be my friends, I had to have that special girlfriend, that special job, and all those things, and all that respect, you know. It's like I had to have all this shit, you know, before any guy was going to give me the time of day and, and just want to hang out with me. Or I had to be a great athlete, you know, or, or I had to do something important or write a book or something. Uh, and and it, the truth was is I just had a lot of friends that didn't want a damn thing for me, you know. And I, why couldn't I figure that out, you know, um, last to find out, you know. And... So that really, that was that was real critical. That was very critical. Then I started realizing that it was okay to have friends and and not want anything from them. And then it was okay to 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 take a thorough, searching, fearless moral inventory of myself because now I, I could see that well, you know, this this is this is going to work. You know, this is actually going to work. You know, works for these guys, and I want to be like them. So I'm going to have to do this stuff. So. I got another sponsor. Uh, I went through some uh, a sick period. I'll talk about it. I'll talk about anything, you know. Uh, I went through, I went through a period where I was basically running around here and up at the clubhouse up in Tri County, just uh, you know, just a period of hitting on new new people, new girls. You know, you know, just just went through all that bit, and uh, that didn't fix me. <laughs> I just got I just got sicker, you know, and and uh, and I and I was just avoiding using any sponsor through that period, and and. Uh, I was running around the Alcathon and, and 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 you know just 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 like a a leech man. I just I was just, I was just wasn't right. Things weren't right, and I knew it. And I finally got a sponsor who who I was a guy I was scared of. Actually, his sister I work with, and he came up and visited me in treatment uh, in in '85, as I recall. And didn't say a thing to me. Just hi, I'm I'm Danny. We shook hands. And we just talked a little bit, and and then he just well, if you ever need to call me, call me. And that was it. And I just thought, man, who the hell is this guy? You know, and. Um, but it stuck out of my mind, so I said, well, you know, you want to be my sponsor? He said, sure, and then we, I immediately did a fourth and fifth step. And, man, it wasn't, easy, it wasn't hard to, to think of things. It was all coming right out of me. Um, it was sweating out of me by then. Uh, and, uh, and so we did one, and I felt a lot of relief from that. And, uh, you know, that feeling that I was kind of like that nearness to my creator type thing, it kind of hit me. You know, that's not corny language. It really makes sense, I, I think. Um, and uh, I started to make amends and, and just do the, the steps the way they're, they're written, and, and it felt good. And, and to say the prayers that are in here and, and not ad lib it or, or uh, you know, think myself into a state of anything. I just started doing the action, you know, and hauling people around and just all the things that you people suggest and that all, all the rest of you do. Um, and in the meantime... Um, I just I felt a lot of contentment, you know, and all of a sudden it wasn't important what... I looked like, or what I was saying, or what I was doing. It just, it, it just, it just was important as long as I enjoyed it, and I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, and and taking the suggestions, and kept going back to here. That's really all that seemed to matter at this at this point. Um, I got involved. This is a while back now, about four years ago, in a meeting at Lebanon uh, Correctional Institute on Wednesday night, and I still go up there and 
and I really enjoy that meeting, you know, and um, and those guys give me a lot. Uh, in fact, we're Warren County uh, Correctional is open and it's just open next door. And we're in another month. We'll probably be in there too, uh, you know, on Thursday or Saturday. So that's kind of neat because I I need that. You know, I need to kind of change and, and keep doing different things and adding different meetings. That's that's important for me. Um, you know, through all this, there's been some funny things that have happened. I remember I got back and I'm still jogging, but not like I was. <laughs> and uh, I did something real good last, not this this summer, but a summer ago. I hyperventilated from jogging. I had to get taken to the hospital. That was one of the more intelligent things I've done in my sobriety. Um, I was out in a 102 degree day, you know, minding my own business, running, and, and I, you know, uh, and uh, I took a girl out who I knew I shouldn't have taken out. And because uh, I knew that this guy liked her, and even though they'd broken up, I knew I knew the, who the guy. You know, I thought about this, and I was going to blame him about all this, but really, it was my. I was the guy that set the, you know, talked about setting the trains in motion. You know, I was the guy that did that. Um, and I took this girl out, and he came into the movie theater and slugged me. Um, he was sober a couple of years, you know, and uh, and he made amends to me, you know. Uh, but I made sure he made amends me in front of a lot of people. <laughs> I was dumb, but I wasn't stupid, right? You know, street will do that to you, I guess. Um, what was really neat was, though, is that, you know, he was sincere when he made the amends. You know, that was, was really neat, and I received it that way. It was, was kind of neat. Was, and, uh, and then she called me up and said, you want to go out again? And I said, I don't think so, you know. Um, so that was that was growth. <laughs> You know, because uh, I I like living dangerously. <laughs> um, so just you know, I just went through some crazy things. I I get I get on my knees and pray every morning, not because it says to do it here, but I just do it and and I do ask God to keep me sober every day. And I and I say the third, fourth, and seventh and step prayer. There's a nice prayer in the twelve and twelve, the eleventh step has a prayer in there that I like. And I say that and. Um, I don't know. I that Hazel in twenty four hour day book. I I go through things phases of reading that. I've been reading it lately. It helps me. You know, it's not a big thing or anything, but I like to look at it. Um, and I thank God at night for for a day of sobriety. I I'm pretty grateful. I, there's a lot of good things happening. You know, I, I I accepted. I was talking to Killer. He comes out to Tri County sometimes when he's working late. And I I was talking to him the other day, and I told him I went through all this fear about this house and all this stuff and and he just said he just started laughing he said yeah it's a it's a real it's real tough when things start getting better you know <laughs> and i you know i relate to that because i i do i have a lot of problems still thinking that john is not good enough for this you know i still have to keep qualifying for aa you know i'm sober and i'm happy but i still have to keep saying no 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 it can't be getting this good you know something's really going to happen here <laughs> if it keeps getting this good, you know. It's like that, that fatalistic, guilty alcoholic sitting here in front of you saying that no matter how good it gets, I'm going to figure out a way to screw it up just for a little bit. Just give me 15 minutes right here, you know. No phone, no television, no stereo, no distraction, just me and my brain and something bad's going to happen. I can see it coming, you know. It'll happen, you know. It'll happen here, but it won't happen, right? You know, and that's that's the beauty of it, you know. Um, and as long as I don't drink today and, and just do most of what, what is suggested, and, and like Dr. Bob said, you know, I, I don't think I have to do, I'll never do it perfectly. And he said if I go around 
with about half the steam as I went about taking my next drink, I'll probably stay sober. I believe that because I haven't. I'll tell you what, uh, driving 250 miles for a gram of cocaine is real honest hard work, and then not having it be there—that's just, you know, and and you know, and driving to three different liquor stores for liquor and having to borrow somebody else's car to do it—that's work. You know, this is not. I, I maybe I'm. I'm I'm taking the wrong attitude here, but I just don't think Alcoholics Anonymous, when we say work this program, I think I think we do it, you know, but I if it's if it's if it's always work, there's something I'm not doing right, you know, it's like it's like golf, you know, if I have to go to the driving range every day and I grit my teeth and I you know, I'm mad at myself because I shanked a five iron, you know, then there's something absolutely wrong, you know. I, I should be enjoying screwing it up, you know, uh, uh, as much as I enjoy doing it right once in a great while. Um so that's kind of my attitude. Uh, the the beauty of, of Oak Street, and I, I just want to talk about Oak Street a little bit, is that I, whenever I come down here, I feel real good here. Um, and a few times in the last six months, I, I uh, now today it felt great in the last time, but a few times I come down here and I and I didn't feel right, and I know what it was is because I feel like. Once in a great while, like, uh oh, they're all think, they're all going to wonder where I've been, and they're all going to think about me, you know. And that's and that's just the, the ego, you know. And now it's almost like a mechanism in my mind that tells me that it's going off again, you know. And, and I got to get right back to basics. And one thing that that I've learned, you know, because I go to Tri County a lot and a lot of other meetings, is that when I start caring a whole lot about what you're thinking. I don't really think a whole or analyze a whole lot about the why of it. You know, I think we we've made why in Alcoholics Anonymous and in these other fellowships. I think we've made why like the, the kiss of death. I mean, if I start thinking about why, I'm doomed. I really honestly believe that because because why it's just it's just that that endless abyss of why 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 you know and and then where have I gone? Where where have I progressed? So I just start thinking about what I'm going to do, and usually. When I start thinking that you're all watching me, it's just because I probably haven't worked with an alcoholic, you know, today. Or I, or I haven't thought about what can I do for somebody else today. It really seems that simple to me now. Now, I say that now. When I leave, I may not think that, you know. But, but I could say that now and know that it, it sounds okay to me now. Um, but I really think when I start getting real indulgent about this... This why don't things feel right to me? It's just because I haven't done something. Very simple. I just probably haven't picked up the phone and maybe instead of waiting for somebody that I sponsored to call me, why don't I call them and see how their their day is and go give somebody a ride and just start talking about basketball and forget it. And, and, and all of a sudden it gets better. And, and it really is that fundamental to me. Um, the, the solution is right here. I don't... Maybe it's somewhere else for some other people, but for me it's right here and... and, and and I've proved it. You know, I went out and and, and I stayed dry in, in AA, and I and I did everything wrong. You know, I I proved it to myself. You know, I, I don't. I experimented. You know, and it was it was really hard. It was it was, it was harder than hard. You know. So um, I'm just real glad John asked me. Now it's been fun, and it's interesting because we were going to. He had asked me to talk uh, Tuesday night, and we went over to the to the Justice Center and. You know, a weird incident happened. I, I came in there and it, we had a couple of guys show up for the meeting and this guard, there was an NA meeting next door that had more people in it and I guess they wanted to consolidate the meeting so the guard said, why don't you guys go over into the other meeting 
and you know I'm sitting there ready to give my big spiel and I'm just watching them march away. There goes my lady. I'm thinking, well, you know. So, so uh, thanks for showing up and not leaving while I'm talking. <laughs> uh, uh, or you know, thanks for not pulling out the Wall Street Journal or something like that. Uh, I love all of you, and I used to think that, God, I used to hear people say to me, God, what a bunch of bull that is. You know, how can you love somebody when you even know them? I don't even like that guy, you know. And uh, the truth is, is that I, I, I think that if I'm in a pretty happy state of mind, I can't honestly say I dislike somebody in AA, you know, not unless I walk up and get in their face and say, hey, you know, I've been thinking about you all day and I dislike you. You know, it's, it's really hard for me to get into all that today. Uh, so I do love all of it, and... Uh, Keep coming back because I I need you. You know I would hate like hell to walk in here and be the only one in here. That would be that would scare the hell out of me. You know. So uh, thanks a lot. Love you.